Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to a special Valentine's Day edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We're coming to you on a frigid morning in Portland, Oregon, where we still have a little snow on the ground and are expecting a bit of a dumping next week. So it's going to be a Valentine's Day on ice for us in the Pacific Northwest. Of course, we know that our listeners love nothing more than a clearer, more nuanced understanding of the college admissions and financial aid process. And we're here with another terrific episode to satisfy your heart's desire. Now, I promise I won't be dropping Valentine's Day puns for the whole show, so please don't don't turn off the, the show now. Um, today, we're going to cover financial aid negotiation. So you parents as seniors will want to stick around for our final segment to hear a little more about how you can get some more funding from the college where your student will ultimately enroll next fall. We'll also spend our second segment talking straight to high school juniors about the college essay. That's right, you'll be writing your essays this year, and it's time to start thinking about how your whole timeline is going to unfold. But first, we wanna get a little serious. We wanna talk about a very real, a very serious affliction that threatens high school seniors each and every year. Joining me to help us better understand the cause and spread of this condition is my colleague, formerly of the Barnard Connecticut College, Tufts, and Northeastern Admissions Offices, Jennifer Simons. Hi, Jen. Hi, and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Now, Jen, I teased this condition on the introduction, but let's give it a name. Um, I, I think it's something a lot of families are familiar with, and maybe they've heard of it. What exactly are we talking about today? Yeah, so we're we're talking about a situation that's very natural and and very normal. As a matter of fact, your college counselors are going through it as well, and it's what <laughs> happens. It only we don't have to worry about you know getting our acceptances withdrawn from colleges, so um, our right. jobs will be safe. Um, hopefully, that would be really bad if they weren't. But um, <laughs> so this is basically what happens when all of the applications are in and or you've also been accepted um, to a college. All of a sudden, your desire to do, I don't know, just about anything having to do with academic work is probably hitting a low. Um, it's hard to focus. Um, either you're thinking about how great the future is going to be. We certainly hope um, that that's what you're thinking about. Or you're just so tired and burnt out or some combination of the two. Um, mm-hmm. Or you realize, or, or I'll add another, another uh, you know, possibility, you realize that you've just spent a long time working really, really hard, and you've done a great job, and you're finished, and so it's not quite that you're burnt out, you're, you know, and you're not necessarily looking forward. You realize that, gosh, I have a whole other semester of my senior year, and I'm going to enjoy it in a way that I really haven't been able to in, you know, a long time, and I think that those are all very natural and very appropriate feelings, um, and so you, you should honor them to a, a, a degree. Um, but I'm going to, of course, tell you that you shouldn't you shouldn't dwell in that place. You you can't dwell in that place. It's not a good or healthy thing for many so reasons. 
if you're experiencing any of the symptoms that Jen is describing here, you might be coming down with a case of, of senioritis. And senioritis, it strikes nationwide. It's a plague. It really only rears its ugly head around January or February every single year. And it lasts for four or five months. And I think everybody experiences it to some degree. I remember experiencing it when I was a student. And and you're mentioning sort of the work that students have put in in their academics and in their applications. It's also been 12 nonstop years of school. And sometimes students are just like, gosh, I'm looking at college next year and I got to start all over again in another four years and it's going to be really challenging. It's just like, I need to stop and take a breath and take a break. Now, I like that you're saying that there is a degree to which students can sort of embrace certain aspects of that attitude. But I think that the worst cases of senioritis can really threaten opportunity later on down the road. So let's talk a little bit about that, how this sort of can affect the college admission process for students who maybe have been offered admission or who have applications that are still being decided, you know, to what degree does a student's performance in the spring of their senior year impact their opportunities in the fall after they graduate? Absolutely. And, and of course, I want to um, also address what you can do um, in healthy and productive ways to um, sure. not combat senioritis, but... Um, <laughs> sort of appreciate the moment that you're in because it is a very, it's a very pleasant feeling to be done and hopefully to have some um, great acceptances coming in. So, so I, I don't want to discount that, but it is very serious in, in the sense that when a college or university accepts you, they are accepting you not just based on the work that you have done. And this is very interesting, but they're based they're basing their decision on the expectation that you will continue to do um, the same level of work. Um, so mm-hmm. essentially, they're admitting you on what they're predicting you're going to do. And in some systems, the British system, for example, um, this is actually something that happens, whereas you are not actually technically admitted to a British university until you get your final results, and they have to correlate with uh, the predicted results. So American universities are different in the sense that they are accepting you before you are completing your high school experience. However, they're accepting you with the supposition that you will continue to perform at the same level. Now, right. if you get a B in a class, in one class that you got an A in, but otherwise <laughs> you do the same, that's not what I'm talking about here. No, you know, sometimes you're fine. That, right. Yeah, you're okay. You're fine, right. Even two Bs. You know, there's a, even within the course of high school, there's an expectation that, you know, students their grades change, they fluctuate to some degree. Um, what we're talking about with pure senioritis, true senioritis that is affecting the chances of your enrolling at the college of your choice or being accepted to the college of your choice if you haven't yet been accepted to the college of your choice, um, we're talking about your grades really going down. Now, a few things can happen. Um, if you've been accepted to a college and your grades go down significantly, um, you fail a course, even one course, or you, you suddenly find yourself with a D or a C that you didn't have before, um, there could be a chance that your application, um, that your 
your acceptance, excuse me, is um, withdrawn. Now, nothing, as far as I know, at least in my experience at the places I've worked, there's never been a, we'd never send a student a letter that says, bye-bye. You know, there's always an opportunity <laughs> that students yeah. have to explain um, what the situation is. And, and you know, the, to be honest, and unfortunately, things happen in life that cause, you know, grades to drop and people to be upset. We're talking about senioritis here, but maybe something, you know, did happen that was, you know, right. there was an illness or something happened and your grades went down that had not, it had nothing to do um, with you being happy, you know, to be in your senior year. And so I think that all colleges or certainly all colleges I've, I've um, been familiar with will give you an opportunity to explain um, your situation. But sometimes the reason is just simply, I just kind of gave up and wanted to enjoy my senior year. And that that's not acceptable. And so even if you're not um, with, withdrawn, even if your um, admission is not withdrawn, you could be uh, forced to start on academic probation and nobody wants to do that. You might have to meet with a dean um, when you get to school again, like during orientation. So you really want to make sure that your grades stay in the ballpark that they were when um, the school accepted you or when you applied. Yeah, and and I think that even even thinking about sort of the extended consequences of this, just the idea that there is a possibility that you could have your admission withdrawn or that you're concerned about academic probation is just not a great mental space to be in in your senior year. And I think that when you weigh that against the cost of doing a little bit more homework or studying a little bit harder for a particular midterm, it's better to put in that effort for those major projects and milestones along the course of the semester than to have to be mid-semester, mid end-of-semester really worried about how a poor grade is going to affect your chances of keeping the offer that you've gotten from a particular school. So, you know, I always want to look at it sort of as a cost-benefit analysis. You, It's better for you to put in the effort now so that you don't have to suffer from this really, really deep stress associated with uh, performance sort of falling off a table and wondering how that's going to impact your admission. Jen, you're talking a little bit about grades. I think there's another consideration that sort of comes into play, which is how students manage their actual schedule. You know, sometimes we'll see students that'll say, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a very good grade in this class. So I'm just going to drop it. Or, you know, all of oh, a sudden. Oh, gosh, no, I, you know, I didn't even want to entertain that. No, 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 that is not <laughs> acceptable. Not acceptable. Okay, so don't drop classes. Don't change your schedule. Now, I, I think that... No, and are, I wouldn't even... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're, get, you're just getting me all riled up is the thing. So basically, um, you can't drop any classes. I would even go further. And Ian, tell me if you disagree with this. I don't even want you to drop or change any of your extracurricular activities. Now, I'm not saying the head of the chemistry club, you know, the, the faculty head of the chemistry club is going to call, you know, University um, X and say, you know, John said that he was the president of the chemistry club and he has disappeared this semester. Um, but they might. And you owe it to yourself and the university, again, to maintain your level of effort, not just in the classroom, but outside the classroom as well. You don't want to be one of those kids that disappear because you have a legacy at the school that's very important. Um, believe it or not, teachers are going to think of you as a graduating senior, as being affiliated with a particular university. You're almost representing a university. 
study, if you will, and you're still a student as a senior, and you're now you're sort of bridging those two worlds. You're a high school student, but you're also representing the university that you will be going to. And it's really important that you continue to maintain the status that you did when you applied for your own reputation as well. That's yeah. So I, I'm sorry to get you riled up, Jen. I didn't mean to do that. No, okay. um, we'll we'll reel you back in a little bit. I I think that you're right around a lot of this stuff, and and part of it is also just maintaining a particular momentum that you have as a student. That if you all of a sudden decide, well, I'm not going to care about my extracurriculars. Those are things I just did for college applications anyway. It, it becomes very hard for you to sort of build that back up when you get to college, right? It's hard for you to justify mm-hmm. that those are things you care about. And those do matter when you get to the college level. Um, I do think, however, that there are a couple of exceptions where dropping a class is the right move. I am thinking about a particular student that I had a couple of years ago who had applied to one of the Cal State universities and was in at one of those Cal State universities. And they actually have a policy where if you get lower than a C minus in a class, that it triggers a re-review of your application. Whereas if you do not get lower than a C minus in the class, or if even if you drop the class, um, it doesn't trigger the re-review of the application. So this was a student who was in a very advanced math class. He had already complete, completed Calc BC, and he was taking a very challenging math class. And he looked at those grades and he said, I might get a C minus or a D in this class. And so, you know, we consulted with the school and they basically said, we will re-review your application if you have a low grade. We will not if you drop it. And so there was a very clear answer for that student based on that question and based on that very specific policy at that school. Um, and so I do think that sometimes, and this is another thing to encourage, open lines of communication with an admission office is actually pretty smart. Um, connecting with them, talking to them if you feel like you're struggling. I think some students figure I'm just going to hide it and nobody's going to know if I'm struggling in a class. That really doesn't work uh, because eventually colleges are going to see that final transcript and they're going to know what those grades are. Um, did you, when you were working in admission, I know you worked at a number of different schools, did you ever have students that reached out to you in the middle of that senior semester to ask you questions about whether they can make changes in their schedule or whether a particular grade was going to affect them? Oh, all the time, all the time. And I, I think that your point is so interesting to me. I mean, I've worked at a variety of places, but I've only worked at private universities. I've never worked for the UCs. I've never worked for public schools. So the fact that you would call me when I was at Northeastern and get the opposite answer that, that your student had in, in working within the UC system is such a good reminder to speak directly. I mean, you said this already, but you really, the fact that I didn't know what you, what you had just described was actually right. a thing is a, is a great reason to call the, the school directly and find out from the horse's mouth what's going yeah. to happen if you drop the class. And it was not something I knew either. My instinct when I first was faced with this situation with this student said, well, I don't, I don't actually know. I, I think that I think that whenever you drop a class, you're telling the admission office, this grade is at least a C minus, if not worse, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody ever drops sure. a class where they're getting a C plus or a B that you don't do that. And so you're saying, yeah, I dropped this class. It's probably a really bad grade. And so I was telling the student, you know, if you drop it, it's going to look like it's a D and it is. So it's better not to drop it. But then when we called them and asked that question, because there wasn't a clear answer, they said, no, we, well, they didn't recommend dropping it, but they basically said, here's our policy. You decide what to do. Um, And so making sense of that sort of said, well, you should drop this class. I think that's the right move. 
Um, other other sort of situations that you've come across with students, we've got about a minute left. Is there anything else that sort of has come up or any other advice, parting words that you might give for seniors who are in this position now? Um, so th- the other thing is that you also, in addition to extracurriculars, um, something that's actually even more common than uh, students uh, dropping classes or doing poorly in classes is just um, it's not going to happen to your child or, or you as a student, but um, you, might, you might know someone out there who indulges in bad behavior because they are very relaxed, um, if you will, and, you know, that could run the gamut. So, you know, colleges will also um, be aware, you know, if you, if you do something really bad, <laughs> you know, you couldn't get um, your acceptance withdrawn, and by really bad, I mean, if you get put on, you know, any sort of disciplinary probation at school, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be really, really bad. It could be just, um, you know, a violation of your high school rules that then are reported to the college. And so you just, you want to be careful. And, you know, on a positive note, to end things on a positive note, you you should take time for yourself, the time that you have put aside to do college applications and to do the research that you needed to do on colleges and to prepare for the SAT or ACT and, and schedule that time for yourself to have fun, to enjoy your senior year, to do those great things. This is, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime experience to have where you're not quite in, in college yet. You're, you're mostly done with high school. All the, all the hard work is done. There's still a little bit more to go. So do try to act we, you know, make memories. I'm sure you're, you don't need to be told to do this, but with your friends and really try to relax a little bit while you're still maintaining those grades and all the other things that go along with it. That's right, Jim. We don't we don't want to be the bad guys here to say, hey, you've got to be super serious through the rest of your senior year. But we do want to make sure that families understand that, you know, the, the behavior in your senior year, your performance in your senior year, those do have consequences later on. And, and it's just a good thing to be aware of. And then go and enjoy being a senior. Enjoy that last little time that you have with your high school friends. I think that that's a, a great note to end on. So, Jen, thanks for, for coming on the show and, and uh, helping seniors to sort of keep their head down and run through the tape here at the end of their high school careers. That's great. All right. Thank you so much, Ian. Take care. Bye. You got it. All right, folks, when we come back, we'll be opening up the office hours to talk a little bit about essay writing for juniors. So don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, our office hours are in session, and I'm really excited about today's topic for a number of reasons. First of all, we're joined by our behind-the-scenes star of the show, Lauren Randall, who does so much every week to arrange guests and develop topic ideas. It's awesome. So today, she's arranged for herself to be on the show, uh, and I'm delighted to be able to welcome her. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hey, thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another reason that I'm really excited about today's show is because I get to learn a little from you. Now, often we have topics where we've got admissions counselors here. I'm an admissions counselor. Both the guest and the host are experts. We usually talk through a particular topic, but I get to learn a little bit about your counseling process that's a little different from mine. Um, And I'm excited to talk over some of the ways that you engage with your 11th graders on the essay writing process and some ways that they can start to think about writing. So there's sort of is a, for our listeners, a little difference in style here um, in terms of how we approach this. And I think it's a really great reminder that there are a lot of ways to tackle the application process. So Lauren, let's just start sort of with how you think about the timeline for students writing their college essays, when it begins, um, and, and what students sort of should be thinking about across the, the entire calendar year where they're actually applying to colleges. Sure. Well, first of all, I, I think it is interesting um, from, a, from a counselor standpoint, when that January 1st deadline hits, the last thing as a counselor that I actually want to do is think about uh, more essays. I've just gotten my seniors <laughs> to that deadline. Yeah. I want this big, deep breath to relax. Um, but that's pretty much when I immediately flip and say, okay, I'm ready to start talking about essays with juniors. And I think for a lot um, of, of my peers, that sounds really early, uh, thinking about it over um, that early uh, for juniors. But one of the reasons I do that is go uh, is I address it going into the holiday break, the winter break, is that mm-hmm. oftentimes students have two weeks and they're sitting around with a lot of family members. I want to approach I don't have any students sitting down and writing essays, but I want to get that conversation started, get them thinking, get them talking, maybe with friends, family, um, hmm. when, they're, when they're out of school mode. Interesting. So, so you, your assumption is that there is something about sort of the, the downtime that they have in the winter when family are going to be coming through, they're going to be talking about college, it's, it's a big topic of discussion, and that students can use some of that conversation to start thinking about what their, their essay writing might look like. Do you, do you give them any specific directives or tools to make use of the people around them uh, for this project? I do. So, like I said, I don't have students, I I don't assign them, uh, come back to me with an essay draft. And I can, you know, if I think back, I probably have had one student in all of my career ever actually write a draft of an essay by February. Um, That just doesn't happen. But what I Mm -hmm. do is is I give each student, and I send it to the parents as well so they know um, what I've asked. 
I send them a list of maybe 20 different questions. Um, and it's almost like a, do you ever play that game, you know, the coffee table game where it's just a, a list of questions that a conversation starter almost. If you're in a group yeah. of people and you don't know what to talk about, um, yeah. it, it's almost something like that. Um, you know, questions like, uh, what's something that most people don't realize about you? Or um, tell me about a daily routine that seems really boring to others, but it's really important to you. Um, so I ask kind of reflective questions about the student's life or um, and, and I ask for, you know, a couple of sentences back. And a lot of them, they look at this and they say, I have no clue um, what people don't realize about me. But I say, well, yeah. who are you sitting down with at the table? Ask them <laughs> what, right. what, what comes across. So to get, the, to get some ideas from others and to um, say, you know, what is interesting to you versus what other people see in you, um, it's almost like a conversation starter is what I'm asking for students at this point. Are you trying through this, are you trying to get them to a position where they're able to create a product as a result of this exercise? Or are you trying to get them to kind of plant some seeds that might, you know, germinate Mm -hmm. much later on into the year? What's what's your sort of stated goal and your ulterior motive when it comes to working with students and doing (laughs) this task? Okay, well, let's start with ulterior motive because I definitely have one. Uh, if, if students are ready to write, I want to get them started. My, my goal here is for my students to have at least their topic, but preferably a full draft by the end of junior. I like students to start the summer with a draft of their common app essay. So that way wow. I can just okay. uh, finalize that and then really spend some summer months um, on, on their supplemental essay. So that's my ulterior motive here. Um, but my, my goal really with this is a, is a few things. First of all, I think that students um, are pretty darn uncomfortable uh, writing about themselves. It is not something that most students do. It is usually not something that is asked uh, from them, from their high school classes. So if I start with questions that get them thinking about themselves um, and their life and, and what they might think is interesting or, or even boring and what I might pick out is something that's really kind of cool to get them mm-hmm. thinking a little bit differently and, and, and the type of writing that ultimately is interesting for an admissions officer. Right. So it's one step is just to get them comfortable uh, writing and reflecting about themselves. My second step here, or my second goal here is to get them thinking about what, um, what an admissions officer is looking for from that essay. And a lot of that could just be tone even of, of having a more converse or maybe conversational style or just to hear their voice um, in this. So with these questions that I ask, it's, it's pretty hard to write a, a research paper from that or have a stuffy response. It has to have a bit more of a, uh, of a human um, response because it, it's about them. So yeah. those are my, my, my big goals with this. Gotcha. Now, so I do something that's kind of similar, but I think it's not, I kind of disconnected from the college essay process. So I like you, I want them to learn a little bit more about how this project unfolds and what the requirements or expectations of the project are. Reflective narrative writing. It's really hard for students to do because they don't encounter it all that often in a high school setting. Mm -hmm. So I usually have students coming out of winter 
um, write sort of a reflection on a moment, uh, a tradition, something that happened over winter break. Because like you, I think that there's a lot of value in sort of reflecting on family and, and those kinds of experiences. And a lot of students have that as a part of that period in time. I'm not using that at all as a starting point for um, the college essay. I'm kind of looking at it as what's your writing style? What are the things that you focus on? Are you able to reflect in in terms of mm-hmm. experiences that you've had? But then I sort of look at them, talk to them about it, and then put it in a drawer and it almost never shows up again. It sort of is for me an indication of where they are. And then I, I wait pretty long before I come back to the essay topic. Um, do you find that students have experiences over the course of the summer between junior and senior year that might change a draft that they're working on or completely turn turn the process on its head because all of a sudden they've had this really remarkable experience that changes sort of what they write about? Um, or does that not come up? How do you create space for sort of, you know, the late breaking essay topic to come out of nowhere and, um, and grab hold of a student? Sure. And so what's interesting here is I think, first of all, if students are not ready to engage in this at all, they're just, they just won't do it. <laughs> they're not going to do my, <laughs> my little essay. I, I can't make anybody write, first of all. So if they're not ready to, then right. probably they're going to be ready in the summer. And I have to respect that, that time and space um, right. and, and, and trust that they are going to get to that point eventually. So if they're not ready to write, then they're not going to write. The students that are interested in engaging in this and talking about and brainstorming, um, I use I, I tell them the students that end up with the best essays are ones that are usually willing to try maybe mm. two, three, or four different drafts of, of totally different ideas or topics. And the students that are excited by that, they say, oh, well, yeah, okay, I, I want to try different ideas, see what it sounds like. They're the ones that engage in this process. And I find if something happens over the summer, they have this, you know, this lightning moment. Well, they have no problem scrapping a previous draft and saying, this is why this one's better. So hmm. I don't ever, okay. I, I, I've never come across an issue with, with that because the students that want to engage in this are constantly going to um, be excited uh, about how their essays evolve and want to and want to be sure that by the time they submit their application, they are submitting their very best work. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense to me. Anybody who's going to be on it enough to be willing to write a draft by June is probably on it enough to be able to scrap that and write something different if if the opportunity takes hold. Um, I'm probably not going to find a procrastinator that's finished in June and then, and then rejects the idea of changing their prompt because they don't want to put in the work. This just, that doesn't really, that doesn't really obtain. Um, do you, I want to ask you something, uh, just in terms of the students that you've worked with, have you noticed a difference either in the quality of the work or in the stress around the process based on how they approach this timeline that you set forth for them? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, okay. First of all, I think, the, I think the stress of it, again, if, if this, if this um, activity, let, let's call it, stresses a student out and they, they are not ready to think about it, by all means, there's plenty of other things that we can talk about. Let's put it away. But if a student is stressed more about all that's on their to-do list, and this is something that we can start to 
to think about, start to just get excited about different ideas and topics. Um, then it then it helps with the the timeline and the and the stress of the process because it's something that you know we can have a goal of June first to have a solid draft by, and there's still tons of time left to to tweak that. Um, uh, one other part of this, though, I also and maybe this is strategically for me. Um, I, I do find that many English high school classes. Um, often at the end of 11th grade use, or at the beginning of 12th grade, um, use, some, use an assignment for the, the college essay. So I guess, again, maybe I have an, an ulterior motive here. Um, I like to get in front of that a little bit because that's really valuable class time and a great assignment and students then have to do it. But I want to take advantage of that assignment and, and have a conversation about the college essay and, and give um, and do some brainstorming work together before that. So that way um, I can almost take advantage of, of, of uh, that assignment as well and, and hopefully end up with a better product. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I think you and I are really happy to do is is if they're already working on something and we can help to make that even better. Um, great. Great. That's a great thing for us to be able to take advantage of. And, and we don't we want students always to work smart rather than working hard. And that might mean taking an assignment mm-hmm. that they do in school and bringing it to the, the college essay process. Um, is there any do you find that there is any um, sort of lull in the process of a student that gets things done early? Um, that they sort of see a dip in their commitment to the process because they're done so early. So I'm thinking of sort of a situation where a student's got a bunch of stuff done and they're like, all right, well, I'm on top of it. And then months go by without a whole lot of progress being made. And all of a sudden they're trying to catch up again. Um, Maybe it's hard to separate that from the kind of student that Mm -hmm. writes an essay early. But how do you make sure that there's consistent progress being made even when you do something um, earlier in the process than, than most students would? Again, I don't, I really haven't found that because when we think about the timeline here, again, it is very rare for students to ever send me a draft of an essay in January or February. But when we look at the timeline, um, you know, if I started this, if I started this process later, let's say towards the end of, of the school year for juniors, well, then they're up against so much else. They have their AP exams, their SAT, ACT, subject test files, so much going on. I usually tell students, if you engage with me earlier, well, then May and June, I'm going to leave you alone a little bit. Focus on those other things. (laughs) Enjoy the wrap-up of your senior year. Um, So that's really the only low time I kind of build into it. Um, And then we pick right back up again, you know, by July, Many colleges are, are releasing their supplemental essays. Um, so there, there's not a ton of lull time. Uh, I find that the students that don't engage with this, it's really July that they kind of hit the pedal to the metal and realize, oh, my gosh, I have from July until usually November 1st to get a lot done. And I just find that the stress for them um, can often be a, a bit more intense. So how would you recommend that um, a student – a family, we've got parents listening, got some students listening to this, identify sort of what the best approach for them is. Are there things that students could and should be doing right now, regardless of their style? Um, You know, how do you sort of figure out 
what's going to work for you? And what would you recommend that, that a family get started on as, as some action items sort of for the next, you know, couple of weeks here in February? So I think maybe this might be controversial advice and you might totally disagree with me. Um, I like for students to read college essays, sample essays, and it's not to give them their idea. You cannot read somebody else's essay and say, oh my gosh, now I know what to write about. But I think that conversation, if you're working on your own, it, it can be really hard to understand what what we're talking about when we say tone of, of a college essay. So even my students that aren't, or aren't interested in starting to write yet and brainstorm, I still ask them to read no fewer than five sample essays. Uh, I send them to... Um, Tufts University, Connecticut College, um, and uh, Johns Hopkins all publish sample recent college essays on their website, um, and I ask them to read some. I, I, I think some, some maybe my colleagues don't all agree um, that, that that could maybe um, sway them one way or the other, but I'm really aiming for that sense of tone uh, or getting an understanding of, of tone um, and, and a uh, what, a, what a college essay might look like. It's not your traditional five-paragraph essay. So that, for me, is, is one of my first steps. Is that something that you do, or are you, you shy away from? I, 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 like the, I like the spirit of the idea. I usually try to keep students away from other college essays just because I don't, I don't want a student to see something that's really out there and think that their essay has to be that way. And I think you can solve mm-hmm. that problem by, by reading a lot mo- more essays so that your sample size is a little bit more broad. Um, yeah. I, I, but similarly, I have students actually read um, narrative nonfiction writing, uh, published narrative nonfiction writing, because for me, those sorts of memoirs – the mm-hmm. idea is that you can see a voice come through in this writing. You can see sort of the tone of the person. You get to know them through the way that they write. Um, and I find that usually published writing, it, it, it tends to be a little bit more simple, a little bit more of a, a flow. Uh, it's not quite as overdone as some of those sample college admission essays can be. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just mm-hmm. worry about students wading into samples and finding that they're it's like, oh my gosh, I have to be super creative with this. And then I have to reel them back in a little bit on that. But I think the spirit of the assignment sure. is pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think either way, um, the, the point is, it, 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 well, you'll get there. Um, so I, I yeah. think that's a great way, a great place to start. Um, and I, I have my students, in addition to more reflective questions, I have my students make a, a few different lists early on, and, and that's a, an evolving document um, that we can go through. But I ask them to think about um, things that make them happy, write down 10 things that, make, that they're proud of, and also list things that they want the admissions officer to understand about them. Not necessarily just know, but what do you want them to understand? That, there's a difference in those, in those words. Um, yeah. When I have students write that, they often write, well, I want them to know that I that I get good grades. And I say, well, guess what? They're already going to know that. <laughs> they're there. The they're in the so end. What do you want them to understand about that? So those are some uh, some lists that I think are important um, because you can find some themes throughout that, but whatever you end up writing about, did you hit some of the points that you've identified um, that are important to you? Yeah, I think that that's great. It's it sort of is a reminder of ongoing reflection and and just note taking and sort of thinking about yourself. I think that that's a huge part of this. And 
we found, you know, unfortunately, Lauren, I was hoping we would find a, a huge area of disagreement, but it seems like we're we're kind of on the same page <laughs> in terms of what we think best practice is here. But uh, thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show and and talking through some of this with with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, and it's always a pleasure. Fantastic. Folks, when we come back, we're going to help you get a better understanding on negotiation and financial aid. So stick around for an offer you can't refuse. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. And, and at this point in the process, we turn to sort of the financial aid corner of our show and we get to shine a spotlight today on negotiation and joining me to talk about negotiating financial aid is Tara Piantanita Kelly, uh, who's going to help us understand exactly how to work through these conversations uh, with colleges. Welcome to the show, Tara. Great. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here. Yeah, so I almost wanted to, I was toying with the idea of playing the part of a father trying to negotiate more aid with an admission professional, or uh, excuse me, a financial aid <laughs> professional, and then I was like, oh my God, I'd get slaughtered on the air if Tara would totally kill me on this with all your experience. So instead, why don't we just, instead of me trying to get more money out of you, let's figure out a good way that we can help families understand how negotiation works. And, you know, I think that I was surprised to hear when I first started here with with Bright Horizons and, and College Coach that that you can negotiate financial aid. I was really surprised by that, um, and I think that's because I come from a school in Reed College that only does need based financial aid, and so negotiation mm-hmm. wasn't really something that we saw all that often. Can can you start by just telling us a little bit about the difference between need based and recruitment aid or merit aid, and and how that might affect the process of asking for more money? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and there are two completely different processes um, and taken through two completely different offices. So um, usually, well, often, merit scholarship money is 
awarded through the admissions office as a recruitment tool, right? And if a school offers merit money, it usually comes from the admissions office as an inducement for that student to enroll. Uh, on the flip side is the financial aid office who offers students need-based grant money uh, based on the student's demonstrated financial needs. So just two completely different things. So if a, if a school offers merit aid, then you might be able to go back to them and say, hey, you know, another school offered me more merit aid. Would you, you know, will you consider increasing your, that's, that's what this whole negotiation thing is. You wouldn't go to the financial aid office and say, you know, hey, this other school gave me more merit aid. And the, the financial aid office is going to say, well, that's great, but we only give need-based aid <laughs> like at Reed. You know, that, it's like apples and oranges. It just doesn't really even compare. So right. did, did that, does that kind of help yeah, show where you, the money is coming from and why? <laughs> yeah, you've got to sort of keep these two buckets of money separate. So even though they, they are both funding for your education, they are tagged in different ways and they should be understood in different ways. And so that means mm-hmm. that you're you're contacting completely different offices on campus depending on what kind of aid we're talking about. Exactly. And for completely different reasons, too. Like a, a family could go to the financial aid office and say, hey, could you look at my need-based aid because we've had a change in our financial circumstances. That's called sure. a financial aid appeal. Totally fine, but completely different from a merit scholarship negotiation. Okay, so we've got, I love the, the language there. So there's a, an appeal, there's a negotiation. We talk about appeals with respect to need-based aid. We talk about negotiation with respect to merit aid. So let's let's focus yeah. in on that secondary, that negotiation. How do you do it? <laughs> this is, this is I think, you probably feel calls like this all the time from families. How do we get started on this? How do we, who do we reach out to? What's the, what's the best way to open up this conversation with the college? What do you recommend in terms of the process of actually having this conversation? Ah, okay. Well, I, I like to start it with a phone call, just a phone call to the regular admissions office at the school saying, you know, hey, who would I talk to about my child's merit scholarship offer? Um, because all schools have a different process. Uh, one school might have a committee that does it every, you know, takes a look at these every week. Another one might say, oh, you know, our associate director takes care of all those, you know, give the information there. So I always start with the call. Just, hey, who do I talk to and see what their process is so that, you know, and then follow through with the process that that particular school uses. All right. So you start with the call. Um, what's, what are the, how do you approach this? Like what, I mean, is it like, Hey, give me more money or I can't <laughs> it's not like this is a stick up or you know, what is, what's the, what's the conversation and how do you, people have difficulty? I think always talking about money and how to get more money and, and it's a difficult conversation. Yeah. And yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot of concern that you might threaten the offer, right? Cause the school has admitted your student, you've worked, your students worked really hard to get into a particular school. How do you think about sort of the balance between making the ask and and you know doing it politely? Mm-hmm. Great, yes, and and having worked at like over twenty colleges and universities in my career, I can tell you what does not work. <laughs> you know, if you you the parent calls and says, "Hey, I want to negotiate this." Mm-mm. Never use the word negotiate. Never do it. Um, <laughs> okay. Also, don't Check. don't go in there and say, you know, how do you expect me to pay this amount? Don't do that either. <laughs> Don't do that. The the best way to approach is to say, hey, we're so excited about our child getting into your school and and she really wants to go to your school. Um, And, you know, but these other schools have made it more financially feasible for us based on their, you know, awards and their offers that are higher than yours. But she'd really love to go to your school. Is there any way that you can take a second look to see if maybe you can increase your offer? 
so I like that. The, can you please take a second look? Can we increase your offer? Is, is there any, is it just about asking or are you ever using, you know, sort of uh, evidence? Are you, is there something that you want to bring to the table? Are there things that you want to point to beyond just a, a raw desire for more money that might be able to help move the needle on a negotiation like this? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. If, if the student has some competing scholarship offers from some comparable schools, those are great for uh, a negotiation to say, you know, gosh, you, you know, XYZ University down the street, which you happen to know is one of their competitors, offered her more money. And, you know, I, I'd hate for her to have to go to that school instead of your school, which she really wants, just over a few thousand dollars. Something along those lines. And, and then it's totally fine to sh- share those competing offers. There's nothing wrong with showing the, uh, the offers, the scholarship offers that the student received from other schools. Okay, so that's that's okay. That sort of is above board. Now, uh, wh- how do you verify that? I mean, is there, do you have to actually say, I've got this thing in writing? Do you just sort of say, yeah, Stanford gave me $50,000. What do you, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you, I mean, we both know that's not true. Um, they don't do merit aid, but how do you sort of make sure that what you're holding up as the other option is something that, um, you know, they're they're taking seriously? Yeah, well, I, I always tell parents, you know, be prepared to, to make a copy of the competing offers and, and deliver it to them, to the school, so that they know this is a bona fide offer. This is not just you, you know, pulling some numbers out of the air. This is a bona fide offer. Um, and it's totally fine to, to let them see that. Um, and then, but th- there are a couple of things to keep in mind. Like if the parent is saying, hey, you know, our local uh, community college is going to be so much cheaper than, you know, to send her there than to, to your school, which is a private four-year school, and even though you know, you gave some merit money, it's still a lot more than, than the community college, the school is going to say, well, of course, <laughs> right. yes, but you're, again, comparing apples and oranges. But if you're uh, showing a competing offer from a school that is similar and a, and a competitor of this school, then yeah, that, that, go ahead and show them. And, and that, that's when the school is going to say, oh, hmm, do we really want to lose this student over just a couple of thousand dollars? Yeah, so th- so it's it's partly understanding sort of what the what the situation is, who's who's competing against who for your interest. Um, you know, that's that's a big part of sort of looking at the landscape and understanding that pretty well. Um, how how do you think colleges uh, families might get an idea of what the peers of those schools are? Does it have to do with selectivity? Does it have to do with um, region? What's the what's the way to sort of understand what those peers are going to be? Well, that can be kind of a difficult process, and, and it's it's not a, an exact science, but um, there are some tools that families can use to kind of see, uh, you know, which schools are kind of in on the, uh, have similar admit rates or have similar, you know, test scores, uh, they, uh, parents and students can go to just the college board, collegeboard.org, and in their search bar, type in, you know, whatever school they're looking for, and uh, it will bring up the information on that particular school, and it will tell the, the admit rate for that school and the um, average, uh, the mid-50th percentile test, standardized test scores for that school. And then you could, the student can go and look for another school, maybe a competing school, and say, oh, you know, what are the admit rates and, and mid-50th percentile scores for that school? If they're similar, then that might be one indication that those two schools are, are fairly competitive with each other. If they're very, you know, vastly different, then that would be one indicator where, yeah, no, they're probably, they don't probably consider themselves competitors. 
Yeah, and, and I, I don't know that it necessarily hurts to ask. I mean, if, if you're not quite sure that they're competitors, it's not really a bad thing, right, to, to say, hey, this other school give me money that the institutions can can say no, um, right? They, sure. they can always say we're not interested in offering you more money. Does that – I think there's a concern always about asking for more being something that's going to hurt you later on down the road. Is that something that families should be concerned about um, or, or is that sort of a misplaced concern? That that is a misplaced concern. There is just there is just no downside to asking for more money. The the worst thing a school is going to say is nope. And then at least then you know you haven't left any money on the table, right? And there are schools that just will not negotiate, and that's fine. But at least then you know uh, a school is never going to you know retract their admission offer or you know reduce the scholarship that they've already given you. They're not going to do that just because you you've asked for more. Um, and like I said, there's there's just no no downside to it. Worst thing they could say is no. The best thing they could say is here. How about how about some more money? Would that will this amount do it? <laughs> and right. then there you go. Yeah, it's kind of like asking my dad for money for the movies, um, which I always hated to do. But the worst thing that's going to happen is he's going to say no. And maybe I get a little lecture, but sometimes I get surprised with with a twenty. That was great. Um, that's right. There you I, go. <laughs> you, I wanted to follow up on something you had mentioned test scores. Um, and often uh, test scores or GPA can trigger automatic scholarships um, if you if you arrive at a particular tier. Um, is that something that should be a part of a negotiation to say, hey, we, you know, I'm willing to retake this exam to see if I can get a better score. Does that come into play at all or is that a totally separate concept? Um, well, a uh, 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 portion of that, I think, is, is accurate. So let's say that the student um, did their standardized test scores, you know, back in their junior year, and, and they got good scores, and they, they left it at that. Um, but then they did a little bit of research, and they saw that one of the schools that they're applying to uh, does have a tiered scholarship like that. And they see that, oh, gosh, if I get, you know, 20 points higher, uh, I'm going to be eligible for, for more money. Or if, if it's based on GPA, oh, if I get a higher GPA, I'd be eligible for more money. Um, so the student can then be proactive even before they, they get the offer and take the test again. Or let's say the student, um, it's based on a GPA, and the, the student, when they applied for admission, they didn't have their first semester senior year grades in. And so their GPA was, X, you know, this. And then when they got their first semester senior year grades, uh, it, it was higher. So now maybe they are eligible for the higher tier. That's something they should absolutely contact the admissions office and say, hey, will you take a look at my, my new GPA because my first semester, you know, senior year grades were, were really good and maybe I can get the higher scholarship. Totally fine to yeah. do that. I, I love that. I think, and there's a lot of really great pieces there. And, and you had mentioned that our blog, which is at um, uh, getintocollege.com slash blog, uh, has posts on negotiating merit scholarships and appealing need-based aid. So there's a lot of great content that that people can go and read uh, after this this particular session to learn a little bit more. Um, Tara, yeah, I, I want to thank you so much for for walking us through these challenges and and a great conversation today on uh, negotiating financial aid. Great, thanks for having me. In. Of course. So, folks, that's all for today's show. We really enjoyed our time, and we hope you enjoyed it, too. Next week, we return with a whole new lineup of guests. Our director of client services will come aboard to talk about the process of finding and choosing the best college counselor to work with your child. And we'll be fielding listener questions on both admissions and financial aid. So if there's anything you'd like us to address on next week's show or a future show, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com or make your way to our Facebook page and leave a comment. 
So enjoy your Valentine's Day with your loved ones and then meet us right back here next week for an all new episode of Getting In. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.